Welcome, one and all, to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Pete like fire. Matt like water. Today, Fantastic Geek brings you our review of Thor Ragnarok, which is sponsored by Grandmaster Transportation, taking you right up the devil's anus since antiquity. Wow. Impressive indeed, Pete. Here we are for the 17th Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, every last one podcasted, of course, by Fantastic Geek. Pete, here we are to point to Marvel's Inhumans, our podcast for it. Uh, in, in the waning two weeks, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's triumphant fifth season, not far away. It is a great time to be an MCU fan. The Punisher, right around the corner, Runaways, which we have already seen the pilot of, uh, and we think you're going to enjoy it. So, yeah, great time to be a geek indeed. Just uh, a little further, we'll be bringing you uh, our review of Justice League. We'll get you Star Wars The Last Jedi when that comes out. We're not just an MCU joint. You can also find us with our Star Trek Discovery podcast so all of this going on, but Matt, let's get down to business on the Thor Ragnarok. When we catch you up on what went down, Matt, let's begin with a prologue in an undisclosed location. We do not learn where this hellish landscape is uh, with Thor recapping the story to this point with the fire demon Surtur. I like that we get what is essentially kind of a James Bond opening. I will admit I was convinced that this was going to be a more traditional and medias res where, you know, he's going to say, and let me tell you how I got here. Um, and then we're going to spend the first half of the movie seeing how we got there. The fact that this is just another adventure and it was reminding me, oh yeah, the first Thor movie opened with him having wrapped up an adventure that you haven't seen. You saw the, the, the triumphant return to Asgard. Uh, Thor The Dark World, it was that final wrap-up of them beating some bad guys, and there was a big giant one that got smashed. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, they're, they're, they're continuing the pattern of the trilogy. In a movie that's going to somewhat change the pattern of the trilogy, uh, I really dug that we got just the wrap-up of this adventure with a big old, you know, big old fight and a song at the end. And humorous, uh, funny, you know, just in the way that they're allowing the character who the actor clearly being able to spread his wings and do some comedy and acknowledged for that much more greatly to this point in his career. And to, you know, I, I wouldn't call this a full on comedy. It's not. And anybody who's doing that doesn't understand what this movie is. It has comedic elements that are played up obviously because of the strengths of the performers. Um, but yeah, you know, here with a fire demon and something that traditionally would be super serious. You're in a dark setting with something very dangerous and, you know, to, to make it funny, my only complaint, and it's a personal complaint because I hate Led Zeppelin is that we had <laughs> to hear the Led Zeppelin song. The, the, the one that's about, you know, Norse myth, twice in the same movie when we got it in the trailer too it, it felt a little bit excessive but it's a small complaint i hate led zeppelin 
fans of mine, fans of living the pure, spoiler-free lifestyle, let me tell you, first of all, Pete, while I don't have a particular dislike of Led Zeppelin, um, I, I felt a little poorer having seen the previews and having seen the previews uh, voraciously because, you know, it's some awesome, fun moments with the Led Zeppelin music and, uh, you know, I, I, knowing some of those beats, I felt a little poorer for it. However, Pete, there is another. There is another opportunity to not have things ruined by previews. And let me just say, I have not seen the most recent or two most recent. I've honestly lost track because I'm hashtag spoiler pure. Uh, the, uh, the Last Jedi preview, which played before this movie, I closed my eyes. Truly, I looked, I had... he did. It's it's pathetic, people. I don't understand why he won't do this. But you know what? Everybody's got to have a, a yin to his yang. And I find everything I can to watch with these. That's what uh, that's what spoiler Pete is, Matt. What wasn't spoiled for us, um, despite so much being out there about this film, were the really great cameos in the play within the movie about uh, the last movie. I mean, it was fantastic. Uh, I immediately recognized Matt Damon as play Loki. You a second later said it took me a second yeah. because of the wig. I'm like, wait a minute. And let's, let's be honest, you know, Damon, Damon skins, you know, looking a little different under his neck these days than it, <laughs> than it, than it did in his salad days. Hey, it comes for all of us. Okay. Uh, but not, not he, you, he Pete, was, you're, you're as trim as you ever were. <laughs> just, just full disclosure. He, he, he was not, uh, immediately recognizable to these 42 year old eyes. Um, and I'm trying to place Sam Neill as play Odin and, and you were able to do that. At least I like, is that Damon? And you're like, yeah. Um, but that was really well done. And we're, we're leaving out the Thor in the play within a play. Indeed. Luke Hemsworth, the uh, Pete, I think it's only fair to say the least famous of the three Hemsworth brothers. Well, give, uh, uh, give Westworld a chance. We got quite a bit of a, uh, of a Westworld revival from the actors in this piece. Oh, totally, totally agree. Um, certainly Luke Hemsworth, I know that he gave interviews during, uh, you know, during the, the first season run of Westworld where Anthony Hopkins was like, you know, so how is Chris? Oh, Chris is good. Pause. Tell Chris I say hello, you know? <laughs> um, so I mean, Luke Hemsworth, again, the least famous, he's not the Thor. He's not, well, in this, he's the, he's play Thor, but he's not the Thor. He's not the catching fire miley cyrus dater um he is luke hemsworth and there he is pete he got to go to the mountaintop he got to play thor good old luke hemsworth absolutely it's from there matt with uh loki's identity uh masquerading as odin and really you have to wonder that these as guardians were just completely under his spell because there he is popping the grapes He's living essentially the single single life uh, with Frigga, uh, deceased, um, and he's also the type of guy who's uh, walking around in the in the bathrobe all day, as uh, Thor points out. They head to Earth, and no sooner are they there to try to find where Odin went to uh, that 
Loki gets snatched up by the very recognizable sling ring effect of one Dr. Stephen Strange. I know that the standalone movies have had more crossover, certainly than they used to. I mean, which is to say, I want to say that this inclusion, this easy inclusion of Doctor Strange feels new. Then I think back to Ant-Man, which is just about as standalone as you can get, given that he's not after after an Infinity Stone. And, and, you know, it's this kind of small heist movie, uh, but still you get Falcon in it in a very kind of obvious recognizable connection to things and in in an easy bridge to civil war so on and so forth but it just felt here it just felt so easy so familiar of course dr strange is going to immediately notice that these two show up of course he's going to snatch the bad one and of course he's going to have questions It, it didn't feel like a stunt moment it didn't feel like i mean my goodness pete you think back nine years ago eight and a half nine and a half years ago you think back to there's a rumor that that tony stark is in the incredible hulk movie and then he is wow this is mind-blowing and it was mind-blowing at the time even though the movie's a bit underwhelming but here it's just like yeah of course dr strange and dr strange is in this awesome we have our dr strange moment we head back to outside of earth so on and so forth and uh hey dr strange see you in uh, infinity war next year if I had one qualm with the cameo, it's that it is largely composed of the end credit scene from uh, from Doctor Strange, you know, filling the beer glass back up. And I, I get it. These are, you know, two very much in demand particular actors that, OK, they chose to make use of the scene that is in Thor Ragnarok in the credits of Dr. Strange. Um, similarly, when it was the Captain America civil war scene that was in the, the uh, post credit scene of one of the, uh, the previous movies that they, uh, they had cornered uh, Bucky um, and had his arm in a vice. I would have liked, you know, just a little bit more maybe that we hadn't seen or that was different. I I, I think it's a little bit of a cop out to take something that you had already used. I agree. I think that this is familiar turf giving us that little taste of the next movie that connects to the movie we just saw and then expanding upon it. It has served itself well. It's exciting. It's great. I, I think if we got, I don't know, if we got the first we got the first 20 seconds of beer drinking beer glass refilling and that was cut in a way where we now don't need to revisit it in this um in this movie and those who remember it from dr strange you say oh there's a little extra bit that happened before this i think that that would that would add to the special nature of the secret scenes but you know i mean it's an evolving thing Something tells me, Pete, hold on, I can see the future. It's February 16th or perhaps 15th <laughs> if we go to the Tuesday show, the Thursday show. And there's going to be something at the end of Black Panther, which is like, oh, no, Thanos has come or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, there's a marketing function as much as there's a story function. But I think we could we could kind of upgrade the story function just a tad more in the future. They find out, of course, from uh, Strange that Odin is in Norway. Uh, Love that Loki was falling for half an hour before he's brought back into the realm with everyone else and they're permitted passage to Norway. 
and we can't fully say goodbye to Doctor Strange without me saying there was this moment. Yeah, you know, I mean, well, there's this moment where he appears and he's speaking his normal you New York voice, East man. Coast accent. <laughs> Can we just have Doctor Strange get a clock on the head? Oh no! Now I talk like Benedict Cumberbatch because his 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 American accent is not flawless. And he's an amazing, amazing actor. At no point should you be taking away from Doctor Strange for him to, I, I'm just going to go down to the Carnegie Deli and get a pastrami. Like, just come on, let him speak in his British accent. <laughs> in a movie in which, let's see, Thor, and I understand he's Australian, but Thor, British accent. Loki, British accent. Um, Odin, British accent. And on and on and on we go. Uh, uh, the you know, hella British accent. Everybody's speaking with a British accent. Come on, Doctor Strange. Oh, I've done a special spell. Now I speak this way, like the Sherlock. Well, this scene, Matt, that occurs in Norway was actually different when they first did it. This is a a, a redone scene. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, but that uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins here as Odin is overlooking the the sea of Norway. This, this is a goodbye scene. And, you know, I, I kept coming back. This is the trilogy that you don't really think of as a trilogy because, you know, you're talking about the first one coming out in 2011. Um, the second movie came out in 2000. 14, right? 14, 13, or, yeah, or 14, maybe, yeah. maybe it was 13. Um, but, uh, it, it felt like a while, um, and really had to close the book on, on Odin on this arc over the course of three films. So Pete Thor, the dark world was 2013 all the way back to that. I, first I season. thought it might've been four years. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and, and that's the thing. That's how I'll remember it. I, I think that's, given what we do with agents of shield and, and the podcast there remembering it being the big tie in for, you know, episode seven or whatever. And they play cleanup crew in, um, England. Yeah. Uh, but you know, to this movie to, to really kind of close the book there, you know, you, you really do have to remind yourself it's a trilogy because we've seen Thor in, you know, so many of the other films. It It is interesting to think how this trilogy has progressed. And as mentioned before, they're making some choices here where this movie is different from the previous two. The previous two, which came out within uh, 24 months of each other, give or take. Um, you know, there's, there's just that. There are things where clearly they're making a different a, a different move here i wonder how much of that is a result of just the mcu evolving that's a factor certainly i wonder too how much of that is a factor of the fact and you know much love to chris hemsworth but he's the least likely of the avengers to bolt whenever this current uh package of contracts expires um because consistently the chris hemsworth movies that aren't him playing thor have been terrible financial disasters. Um, Chris Evans wants to go and do smaller movies like Snowpiercer or things like that, or maybe you know develop his uh, directorial skills 
okay, maybe that's why he stops being Captain America. Robert Downey Jr. says, hey, you're not going to pay me $25 million a movie to, pay, uh, to, to play Tony Stark. All right, maybe it's time just simply to move on with the, with the cash I have and so on and so forth. Um, Hemsworth ain't going anywhere. So it's interesting that, you know, I mean, obviously they've moved away from standalone Iron Man movies, and I'm certainly not aware of any more standalone Captain America movies. I don't think there's anything on the, on the slate much, much past uh, Infinity War 2, you know, untitled Infinity War sequel, whatever the, the cool kids are calling it now. But point is, Thor needs to evolve because there's going to be another Thor standalone movie at some point because he ain't going anywhere. Well, it's interesting you bring up the subject of standalone movies and the decision to bring the Hulk into this film and to kind of make it a little bit of a buddy movie, make it a little bit of a travel movie. Um, and adapt the Planet Hulk storyline to this film, where in the past that would have been, oh, they're going to do Planet Hulk and it's going to be its own movie. I mean, certainly we can discuss in a moment. The change with the scene here, Matt, with Odin, this was initially filmed uh, where he was the homeless man. You'll recall they they went initially and, and they're looking for him uh, near a, a – you know, a raised building, uh, mm. and, and want to know where he is. And they redid this scene, um, so that when, uh, he dies and then Hella comes in, uh, it's, it's in this verdant pasture. If you go back and look at the very first trailer for this film, she destroys the, uh, the hammer, uh, Molnir in a different setting. So they went and they changed that. You know, there was one shot where Thor and Loki have their back to the camera, uh, perhaps when they're approaching Odin, perhaps he's not in, in the shot, I don't recall. But I remember saying to myself, two things in that moment. A, it kind of looked green screened. It was like, okay, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And there's Everything... pictures of them in front of the green screen, you know, and... behind the scenes stuff. And again, you know, stuff changes. Yeah. A, division, oh, sure. a, a vision can change and, and that's fine. But yes, it, it was noticeable. And I had even wondered in some of those shots where we only see their back, it was like, you know, is that Hemsworth's photo double? I mean, <laughs> bottom line is this. And, and maybe listeners, you're saying, you know, oh, well, you're not being like, are you being critical of the movie that they did a reshot or the shot was imperfect? Uh, here's my feeling on the movie as a whole. It's a darn good fun move, you know, fun time at the movies. I don't think it's the the best reviewed. I mean, if if fine, if you can metrically measure that it's the best reviewed i'm not going to dispute with the math but to me this is not the best reviewed marvel movie of all time nor is this you know iron man 2 um this is a super fun time at the movies it's a fun flick and i feel like i can judge it as such with characters that i'm familiar with and getting the band back together and all that the notion that sir anthony hopkins was playing odin so that one-two punch there of anthony hopkins has odin as a homeless guy versus in some sort of pastoral perfection where 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 the the Asgardian culture has been revered, i.e. Scandinavia and Norway, I mean that's a good change to make. And if if along the way there's an imperfectly color timed green screen shot, that's fine. The story is better as a result of this. I had no idea that he was the old guy or, or that he was going to be an old homeless guy. This, I, this is a solid portion of the story here. My only complaint is we should have had more Anthony Hopkins, but if that's not where the story went, okay. And it's among the few 
super serious moments in a, in a film that, you know, can look at itself and, and, and be self self referential and, and laugh and have a sense of humor about itself. So I, I think that's an important callback definitely to the first film and certainly to the trilogy as a whole. But when Hella shows up and getting Kate Blanchett to play this role was a, a massive get. Um, and, and things change, obviously the thing we come to identify so strongly with Thor in these films, in the other Marvel films, Molnir destroyed, you've essentially removed a major part of his identity. It's, it's something that's lamented throughout the story, Matt. It is. And I keep returning to this notion that, you know, this just isn't the end of a trilogy. This is the beginning of the next series of Thor movies. Um, and I think that that must have been a difficult choice to make because you'd much rather kind of have the neat trilogy. I mean, my goodness, for all the fault, the faults of Iron Man two, I mean, you have the beginning origin story, Iron Man one, you have, you know, the past returns in Iron Man two, then in Iron Man three, he gives up being Iron Man at the end in part because they didn't have a, you know, Robert Downey Jr. contract at the time of filming. Um, so there's this perfect kind of shape to it with this. I mean, they're taking away Superman's cape here. They're taking away mm -hmm. Mjolnir. So he can't fly. He can't automatically throw a thing and it comes on back. I mean, if anything, it, it highlights the, the, the beauty and the, the written scripted wisdom of the prologue with uh Surtier where you get butt kicking galore and you get, is it, is it a hundred skeleton creatures is it 200 is it 500 <laughs> who cares because guess what any old thor adventure he can destroy them all with his magic hammer and now pete he can't yeah it it, it changes the character um which when you identify a character so specifically with it's not a power so much if it's it's a weapon though the the worthiness and everything that comes along with that i mean it might be the most famous weapon in all of the Marvel universe. I mean, obviously the infinity gauntlet is, is going to get played up quite a bit. I, I did like the bit on Asgard where that infinity gauntlet is revealed to be a fake. Um, totally agree. If I may interrupt, totally agree yeah. at a time where clearly there was an MCU vision, you know, I mean, phase, I don't want to say phase one, I don't want to misstate it, but, you, you know, Marvel Studios made the first two, Iron Man and Hulk. All of a sudden, oh my goodness, this thing works. Well, I think we could do, you know, we, we could do a couple more and that ends up with Avengers. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and then in the first Thor movie, you have the quick little meaningless Easter egg of the Infinity Gauntlet there. Now you go back and regret that because now they're putting it together and to just to turn into the storm and say, oh yeah, they're... Good news, everybody. Since 2011, you have been seeing, you know, five frame screen grabs of the Infinity Gauntlet that's in Asgard. Oh, it's a fake. It, yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, Heimdall shows up. Uh, there, there's been behind the scenes uh, anguish, Matt, that uh, Idris Elba uh, doesn't really want to make these movies anymore. Um, and they give him stuff to do. I just don't know if it's enough. Uh, first 
showing him kind of slinking around. We, we see uh, the Scourge character very early on who, you know, when we're first watching it, we wonder, okay, is, is he already helping Hela inside of Asgard? He's mining the Bifrost and then no, he's just kind of this bumbling guy who's using the shake weight to uh, great humorous effect uh, and trying to impress these girls when the monster is beheaded and they get covered in goo. Um, but you know, to have Heimdall just kind of grabbing people and, uh, putting them in a cave, we couldn't give Idris Elba a, a little bit more to do. Yes. He fights in the final battle and everything, but I felt it was kind of like, all right, you don't really want to be in these movies. We're going to kind of, you know, make you hang around in a hood and grab people. You know, they made such a, they made such a bold choice back whenever he was cast probably 2009 certainly not later than 2010 if the original movie came out in 2011 uh add diversity take a character who was not previously uh, of color you know make this make this norse myth a little bit more worldly well-rounded idris elba clearly a fantastic actor uh his star has only continued to grow and i agree in this movie they don't quite know what to do with him they want to give they want to give, I'd say, first and foremost, the character and then also the diversity that comes with the character. But first and foremost, they want to give the character something to do equal to his skills, not the, I'm sorry, but the pitiable cameos belonging to the, the, the you know, kind of warrior bunch that quickly gets killed off. Right? Um, <laughs> I mean, And no Sif. Yeah, well, I mean, and I'll, I'll even give them the pass for Sif in terms of, you know, she's unavailable, period, the end, finito. Okay, or worse comes to worse, we're not going to kill her off. And then if she becomes available in three years' time because, you know, the, the show probably is going to run five to seven seasons. So the next time we do a movie, is she available? So we'll keep that in our back pocket. Oh, to me, that's, that's, that's inside baseball Hollywood stuff, but I'm, I'm okay with it. To kill off the other two guys you know it's just kind of done to me rather clunkily um but what are you can do with heimdall for a variety of reasons including his powers and what he the diversity that the actor brings so on and so forth but it's kind of like idris elba is bigger than this small part even though he signed off on it way back when yeah and it's there that uh with asgard under uh, Hela's control there with Scourge as her executioner now that the story shifts to Sakaar. I had real visions, Matt, that this would be like a, a, a Jabba's palace type of thing. Um, you know, I, I am an OG Star Wars guy. That's where I cut my teeth as a kid. And you want to talk weird alien stuff. I go there more so than the cantina because I was much younger seeing the original so this planet hulk stuff that they were going to i had real hopes would would have a little bit more of that vibe it's kind of Jabba's palace light you do have jeff goldblum and you know the grandmaster we can talk all about that in a little bit but this is essentially this is a big comic planet hulk this is not testing the waters, but being restrained with this character when they've been burned through one Marvel Cinematic Universe film with the character and the other one that was outside of that. 
and they know he's successful to a point, but can he carry his own movie again? Eh, not so much. And I think they were wise to stick it in this film. I, I agree. It's a fun mashup. Uh, we're in space already. You can bring some of that element in there. Uh, again, to me, this is a fun popcorn movie. I think we're watching other TV shows and other movies that are dealing with some of the larger issues of the world. Does everything need to reflect the world back at us and the, the awful things that we do to ourselves, so on and so forth? No, that's not this movie. Um, does Sakaar fully come to life like, you know, Jabba's Palace on Tat Tatooine, like, you know, a variety of Star Wars planets? I mean, heck, you even think of some of the uh, alien cultures that we see in uh, Guardians Volume 2, where it's just, you know, I might not fully understand that. Uh, what are the people in the beginning? They have some sort of name, the perfect people, the, the golden people. What are they called? In Guardians of the Galaxy 2, those yeah. are the sovereign. Yeah, and I don't necessarily need to understand everything about their culture, but you get it in the visual presentation and the eight minutes that they're on screen. Uh, that wasn't Sakaar, that wasn't this movie. And to me, that's not a slam. It's fun. It's a fun place where somewhat wacky, somewhat weird aliens really dig the, the, the fights. And Jeff Goldblum more than outpaces anything that Sakaar might have lacking just by Jeff Goldblum being Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. The thing that stands out for me about Sakaar is the tremendous design influence from Jack Kirby. This is clearly the most Kirby-esque we have ever seen any of these movies to the architecture, to the design of props, etc. They really lapped up a lot of his really out there work and included it in Sakaar. And quickly enough, we meet Scrapper 142, the, uh, the Valkyrie of old, and um, I mean, a fun, a fun presentation of the character there. I think certainly following in the footsteps of, uh, of uh, Heimdall and the casting and diversity and all of that, Tessa Thompson, a wonderful presence. I haven't seen a ton of her beyond this and uh, this in Westworld, but there's there's a spark to her. I think that she has a huge, huge future. And um, I don't know. I just, I buy the pathos that she brings, the independence mm -hmm. that she brings, and, and some of the, some of the, you know, down and out spirit that she brings. And some of her character's storyline is tied up. Obviously, you know, she's not there as a, a hero, a, a past hero of Asgard. She's there to forget. We're told uh, that time passes differently on Sakaar. Loki's been there for weeks. Thor just arrived. Um, and her going there to forget the alcoholic uh, side of her personality that's, that's used both for pathos and, and also for some fun a little bit later on. Um, I didn't put two and two together that this was the same actress that was in Westworld and, until I did a little bit of digging. Um, and, you know, some was made, I won't say much, some was made that she exchanges, uh, you know, affectionate glances with uh, a female warrior 
at uh, the the one bar scene. And, you know, I, I saw one article headlined, oh, you know, Tessa Thompson plays the, the first, uh, you know, bisexual character in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, OK, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I certainly don't think she was cast and, and they were playing that particularly in mind. Definitely great that uh, Marvel can acknowledge that. Um, and, and that it's a thing. And I think we have to acknowledge it as well in the interest again of, of diversity in a, in a universe that, that has really done a great job, maybe even more so on the TV side of committing to diversity. I, I, I knew to look for that scene somehow I missed it. So is that a, is that a sign that, that it was diversity buried you know, buried too far down, or maybe I just, I don't know, maybe I was grabbing a, grabbing a lifesaver at that point. I don't know. But I mean, at the end of the day, she's a great presence on screen. Uh, I, I, you, I, I dare say most of our listeners, oh man, Valkyrie's bisexual. Uh, okay. N- not a big deal. That, that, that works moving on, you know, not, not an area of any consternation there. Um, and, um, I mean, to see her kind of acting as the acting as the the no pun intended, but kind of the comedic straight character along with Goldblum doing his thing, which is always funny. I mean, can you imagine? We have to go back to the fly, Pete, where he's not funny. Um, I mean, it's just a winning combination. Not intentionally right? funny. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps well said, indeed, indeed. Okay, I mean, if if you can't watch him say "I'm Brundle Fly" and then vomit on, I, I think a donut or whatever to to try to uh, eat it because that's how flies eat, um, and not see a little bit of dark humor in that, I I don't think you're trying. Um, what I particularly enjoyed with Valkyrie was, and and this has been a thing in the Thor movies, I think part of its legacy are these expositional scenes where we've got to explain where the dark elves come from, or even we, we had it through Hela's eyes when she gets rid of the, you know, the, the story murals above the throne room to really reveal how, uh, she helped Odin, become who he was the master of these nine realms and then he became a benevolent king and then to see it on the other side to see valkyrie and this elite female fighting force which thor talks about and and you know being um envious of um and and how they failed and to see it done in that very stylized form i really appreciated marrying the pathos of the character with that exposition because a lot of times exposition comes across in a, in a clunky way in some of these movies. And it serves as serves as an opportunity to almost aggrandize and elevate the story in that we're not on mighty Asgard and we're not doing kind of, you know, I mean, I'll say helicopter in quotes, but helicopter shots through the city and of, of all their might. We are kind of on this more, alien granted but this more pedestrian world of of sakar um so to kind of bring it back up to say oh right these are the gods of old uh it's a great way to to do that as opposed to cut to them fist fighting um and it's uh i mean it's a super fun presentation and i hope that they continue to do that with at, at the very least the thor movies but i think it's applicable just 
in, in, in other Marvel movies or other movies where we're talking about legends in general. Goldblum, of course, was inspired casting as the Grandmaster, and so much has been said that he's related to the Collector off screen. It never came up in this film, and aside from the the affectation of the the blue makeup beneath his uh, lower lip, there you can't really connect those two characters. They you know, might be celestials. We, we don't know so much as again, off the screen. Um, but to get gold bloom, gold blooming and you know, the, the things you got to wonder how much too is on the cutting room floor that, uh, they, they just let him run with. Yeah. I mean, he, he is a ton of fun. <laughs> I, I love the, I love the very pared down makeup that he and granted other human based characters have, um, or human appearing. Uh, something just tells me, though, Jeff Goldblum came in and they said, oh, well, we have all these great ideas for for, for prosthetics and we could do wigs and you could do that, this. And I just imagine he said, uh, no, I will spend 25 minutes in the makeup chair, in hair and makeup total. Um, I'll grow up my hair and, that you know, so you could do gel, you could do a little face makeup, but... Um, I'm going to have my coffee and my, my piece of toast and my scrambled egg. And then when those 25 minutes are up, I hit the set. So work with that. And it's kind of a cool pared down presentation that we get from him. I've really been happy over the last year to see him get this second act to his career. Hopefully he continues to get parts like this in the, in the geekosphere, you know, the, the best part of the insipid, Independence Day resurrection or resurgence it was um, is is clearly Goldblum uh, back on the screen in a in a big role that and uh, Brent Spiner if you've not seen that film watch it just for Brent Spiner and then just don't ever think about the rest of the movie um, and and Matt we got a little something to to celebrate Goldblum uh, you know holding it down in this film for our listeners to uh, talk about at the end Ooh. of this podcast indeed we got some fun co things to share but uh got gotta wait for the dessert at the end of the podcast the stanley cameo as is of course requisites did not see him showing up as a barber with a rather elaborate uh set of tools to uh take away uh samson's uh, hair there yeah, it was fun. I like that they give him the wacky glasses. I mean, it's 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 a standard thing now. You got to watch for the Stanley cameo. I know that uh, word is they've shot a whole bunch ahead of time because you know, as with all things, the end shall come eventually. Um, but I, I don't know. Just great to see here, and I like that they're not getting in the way of the the watcher is he a watcher is he being watched by watchers is all the same guy like that was a fun little tangent to go on but if we're really gonna spend a lot of time talking about the the the, the story fidelity of the stanley cameos then i think we're missing the point of go have fun with some of your comic book friends in space one of the things that certainly ties together hulk's last appearance in Avengers age of Ultron and this film. And we're even told he's, he's been in Hulk mode for two years and he's kind of, you know, catching up as banner once 
he uh, comes back. But the thing that brings him back is the Quinjet and the uh, appearance. I'm thinking just previous footage of uh, Natasha Romanoff from Avengers Age of Ultron. Yeah, it was a nice it was a nice connection to things we've already seen. Though we've seen connections like this prior to Thor Ragnarok, I really, really felt that there, there were elements in this movie that shows a maturation of the MCU in a movie, which is not the best MCU movie ever of all time. Oh, Pete is the best, most anticipated, most beloved movie, not just of the MCU, but of this year or perhaps any other year. You know, I mean, let's, let's cool it there a bit, but point being a bit of a maturation of the form in that we can, you know, we can get some of these elements uh, moving in and out. We can get the, the footage of, uh, of Natasha Romanoff without it being, Oh man, that's, that's look who that is. That's blood. That's black widow from the other movie. It's just like, it is what it is. And I think too, it was one of the better jokes that carried through for some time. Uh, the whole thing that black widow does to bring Hulk out of Hulk mode, uh, you know, the, the, the sun's going down and to have Thor doing it and, you know, to no effect (laughs) the first time trying to do it to him, uh, in his little, uh, bedroom that they set up complete with a four post bed. That is really the skull of some gigantic animal. Pete quick tangential question. You have stated your appreciation for Jeff Goldblum. Uh, you, you wish him nothing but the best. You have also previously stated your extreme, I dare say unreasonable, but your extreme disdain for Jurassic World. Do you look forward to Ian Malcolm? I wouldn't say it's extreme. Uh, I, I appreciate the film. I wouldn't say it was extreme. Are you looking forward to the the uh, the uh, the uh, return uh, uh, <laughs> of uh, Dr. Uh, Ian uh, Malcolm? in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom next summer. They had better not underuse him is is my biggest concern. Yes, I'm absolutely looking forward to that. Um, what with um, Colin Trevorrow's unceremonious uh, termination from uh, Star Wars Episode Nine, Matt, I think I'm redeemed in believing he is the least effective part of um, Jurassic World and that this film is in the hands of a different director um, and Goldblum is back, I, I think only means better things. Well, certainly in closing out our mini Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom uh, episode here, I'm sure that uh, director J.A. Bayona uh, I'm sure he's going to do great with Jurassic World, but uh, but Pete, take us back, take us to some Korg, to some to some some bug friends, take us to the revolution. Meek, his his buddy Meek, uh, really appreciated Korg. You you didn't see it until recently. The the voice. I know that uh, Taika Watiti was the onset inspiration for Korg, um, but marrying it all together and the humor, the lightness that it brought to the, to the gladiatorial realm there. Um, and, and then the whole idea of 
you know, slaves uh, uprising and, and all of that, uh, again, not played for the super serious. This has been her. This is no, it's it's a, you know, a perishable rock guy who, hey, you know, I'm gonna, you're going to let me out now. I'm, I'm going to help you. We're, we're going to do some things. Sorry about your hammer. Yeah. And again, that's another example, I think, where the movie has made a choice and the choice is to not use this as an opportunity to look at the the evils of uh, slavery and worker mistreatment and so on and so forth, which is all pertinent and important. But that's not this movie. This movie is, oh, man, they're going to it kind of stinks being a gladiatorial slave. Oh, man, we got freed. Oh, that's great. Oh, man. Mike is dead. Oh man, he's back. Meek. Meek, Meek <laughs> is dead. Uh, I, I don't know how to un, unwash the, uh, the, the, the accent to, uh, back to America. Well, I shouldn't say back, but I don't know how to, how to wash out the, uh, the accent all the way to American. Regardless, uh, oh man, Meek's dead. Meek's alive. Uh, there's, the movie is first and foremost attempting to be playful, and it, it achieves that with those two characters. Yeah, and by the time that we're in full-on Ragnarok, this uh, predicted, and, and you could argue, uh, you know, a, a component of destiny on Asgard, it's it's not the battle so much as it's the beats that are important. There's a something a little unsettling, and I mean this in a good way. There's something a little unsettling. Um, to see Asgard suffering under this this uh, execution of Ragnarok here. We have not spent a ton of time there. Um, certainly the best-loved MCU movies are not the, the, the prior two Thor movies. Um, but still, to, it, to see the, the destruction of this stately place, it does hurt a bit. I mean, it, it, it's a place of our own aspiration. And Pete, we see our aspirations disappearing before our eyes. Yeah, and by the time that the uh, battle is in full swing, we have uh, the beatdown that Thor takes at the hands of Hela. I think it was an ingenious way to bring back Odin one more time and, and do the flashback once uh, Thor's lost the eye and to do it there, but that Ragnarok must happen, that this is the way forward is the end i think was a rather bold choice when i think a lot of people thought all right well he's got to find a way to prevent this no you embrace the end and you know for for what's been said of infinity war coming up and and just the tremendous cast and budget and lead time and everything there uh, I know a lot of people are pointing to, well, this is the end of a 22 movie cycle and I will stop watching these movies after that. Well, no, they're going to do a soft reboot of that universe and you're going to keep going to these movies. Spoiler free, Matt, <laughs> breaking his spoiler fast, I must say was rewarded by the spoilers lying, Pete the 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 electric thor now it's revenge time standing up both eyes a glowing uh that is readily available on your your thor 
trailers yes thor thor but one eye in the actual yeah. uh thing of the movie to a point where i was like hold on i know i've seen the the glowy eye scene when is that and i was doubting myself when all of a sudden he has one eye um so i say well played well played i'll do uh, you one better matt um the avengers um infinity war trailer that is out there from san diego comic-con that a lot of people saw there and then saw in other places uh thor's packing two eyes you know pete i thought so now i don't want to say that i would ever ever this past summer look to find on youtube before it was pulled down footage uh, uh taken of uh, of that preview and never would I then download it and um, you know edit it in a way because the YouTube version was what uh, was presented in a way to make sure that uh, it wasn't flagged immediately for copyright and then once it was clean then upload it and share it with a few select people. I would never do that, Pete. But Thor looked like he had two eyes in that too. Yeah, and what it all comes down to once uh, Thor allows Ragnarok to happen and Asgard is no more. We have on many levels is an exodus. This is something we've seen throughout history here. We have a people that that's the whole refrain here. Asgard is a people, not a place. And they are a people without a place and they're going to head to earth. I, I don't think this is a movie which uh, overly aspires to give us, us in our modern world, to give us kind of sustenance where we can say, oh, it's actually, you know, it's actually a metaphor for blank. You know, this is not this, the most recent and most triumphant season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where they directly had a dialogue with uh, the United States post-election in 2016. That said, this notion that it's the people, not the place. The notion that we make the world, we make our community the way we want it to be, A, that is more valuable now than ever, and B, it is also evergreen throughout the, throughout the millennia, uh, to say, all right, the fancy castle and the fancy long table where great meals were served and magic and legend were together as one magic and science to be indistinguishable. And this is the height of the society. That's all perfectly fine. But to see these people, Pete, on their exodus, are they a particular community? Maybe I argue though, Pete, that they are us. After, Guardians of the Galaxy raised the bar, Matt. What with five credit scenes, uh, we've we've dialed it back a little bit since Spider-Man: Homecoming. And here there are only two. Uh, the first, of course, being the uh, ship headed to Earth. Loki wondering if that's really the best place he should go. You know, after what happened before maintaining the humor but then of course it gets serious because a rather rather bar ship meets them and this has been confirmed that this is thanos's ship also known as sanctuary two well, gee whiz pete i hope the thor doesn't get separated from everyone else and get set you know drift uh, adrift in space or whatever but i think that it serves the purpose of the the, the mid-credit scene, which is to really give propulsion towards the next immediate movie. Um, generally, these are less funny. These are just more that 
that taste of what's to come, which is perfectly fine. W- would I object to the form being played with a bit more? Uh, no, I wouldn't. But that said, let's just call it what it is, Pete. This being the this being the seventeenth MCU movie, and us having eighteen uh, in uh, in Black Panther, and then nineteen and twenty with the Infinity War. Part one and two, and fine, it's not called part one and part two anymore, but kind of the Infinity War duology. Um, this is something to hearken the coming of, and this is something to get excited about, and uh, we get a little little taste here. Yeah, and I, I think it whets that appetite, but it's not so overtly against the themes of the movie, and it, and it just fits. But uh, it's it's the second one I think that uh, you know you can you bring back much more of the humor. Here we have Goldblum getting out of whatever uh, little pod the uh, revolutionaries have imprisoned him in, and again he just gets to be who he is. All right, yay for us, yay for your revolution, and uh, it's a tie. Everybody wins. If this is the last we see of his character, so be it. If it's not, all the better. And I like that this kind of gives us a little wiggle room to say it's either one more funny on the way out or it's an opportunity for him to return in Thor 4, the 4 Thor, whatever it might be. The dossier. A detailed look at our bad guys. Let's begin with the fire demon, Surtur. Matt, I had to look it up because I didn't recognize his voice, and I usually do. This was Clancy Brown. Wow. He sounded so familiar. I cannot believe, Pete, that we who have seen Clancy Brown in so many things, including voice only on uh, on some of the, uh, you know, on like Star Wars Clone Wars and things of that sort. Most recently, uh, last which on Star Wars. So he's he certainly is a fantastic voice actor. The character larger than the little portion of story given to him, and I like that. We really, really, really do get this James Bond style uh, opening in terms of there's this fantastic surtur adventure that we get. You know, the most exciting five to seven minutes of, and to me, the story is better for it. Scourge winds up on his list on on his list on our list here. Uh, obviously, he makes a sacrifice for Asgard later on. That's certainly appreciated. He's much more of a comedic character than he is of a of a baddie. Um, I mean, certainly with Carl Urban, you know, the guy's a chameleon. He's definitely one of my favorite actors working today. Anybody who can play Bones McCoy and then shave his head and play the uh, Asgardian bumping pool. You know, one minute he's guarding the cross, the next he's a janitor, then he's beheading people or, or asked to behead people uh, for the goddess of death. Oh, and he named his M16s Des and Troy. Uh, full respect here to Urban. Yeah, Carl Urban certainly um i i almost feel I, I almost feel like he was underused in this and that's not necessarily a complaint against certainly not against the actor or the story uh it doesn't make me wonder you know was there maybe double the scenes that just got cut as the as the movie evolved 
Um, that said, he's a ton of fun. I mean, to a large degree, local talent. Um, so, I mean, if, if there's that, if there's that, uh, that aspect of having him be a part of it, or he was more attracted to a smaller part because it's a big production, he gets to stay home, not go to LA or London or Dubai or wherever. So be it. But, um, but uh, yeah, certainly a fun, uh, a fun character, well executed by uh, the executioner. I talked before with Hella, what a big get Kate Blanchett is, and you just think of the litany of names that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been able to draw from. Who in this film, Sir Anthony Hopkins, and here Kate Blanchett. But I really appreciated the commitment. They're not just sticking her in a in a bodysuit here, the hair, the makeup, the the digital effect and practical effect of the crown, which was done well, and basically the inclusion of the action, although just doing very little of that. Um you'd never know it given how seamless it all is. Yeah, I there was maybe one transition from hair, wipe the head to crown, maybe one too many for my tastes. But I mean, you can never go along with Kate Blanchett. It's amazing to think Pete, you might not know her from this one role, but to think all the way back, you know, when, when she was as uh, Gladriel in Lord of the Rings, I don't think she's aged a day. Meanwhile, it was 17 years ago that we first saw her there. I mean, she is ageless. She is amazing. And, and, such a wonderful addition to the movie here from those additions we then moved to loki who part of me was like when's the last time we saw loki like there, i felt like there was a little heading into the movie there was a little pizzazz taken out of the character uh but you can't fault tom hiddleston bringing it back I and mean, he, he kind of breathed the character back to life in this movie we haven't seen him since the last Thor film, so it's been four years. And make no bones back, he made the Avengers film. Uh, his presence he took off since then as far as a character. You know, the cosplay we've seen with, with the down a little bit uh but the the amount of cosplay we saw for a couple years at at various conventions was just through the roof um i enjoyed what what hiddleston brought i i think at points in the film there was a little bit of a you know not to the extent of uh when he arrives in avengers where he's kind of sway and you you get the sense he's he's sick or in some way under some kind of sway or certainly under the gun of the other and and their Thanos as well, acting as an agent with the Tesseract. But he just kind of looked a little slick, greasy (laughs) at times. Um, You know, again, the humor with his ability to cast his image and, and do that and throwing things through him to make sure he's really there. The, the playing up of of the the brother relationship in this film i think that the lengthy absence of the character lets us accept where presumably things are headed for infinity war where he's more of an anti-hero it certainly is not going to be 
oh, the big, you know, the big baddie, the on the ground general uh, for, for the opposition for the Battle of New York. Boo, we must, you know, we must send him to the Phantom Zone or Marvel Cinematic Universe equivalent. Um, I don't know. To me, there was just this was the movie letting us appreciate him as the 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 the, the anti-hero that he's always been it's just been an anti-hero acting villainously in the in, in previous movies and he does his thing he betrays thor at one point i mean too he's he's taken over asgard at the beginning and then so he he subverts him a little bit in the film, and then what does he do? He comes back and he fights with the uh, revolutionaries during Ragnarok. So you, you get the full-on Loki experience, and he's a super popular character uh, for for a first outing, and hopefully to return here, Matt uh, Grandmaster. Again, I don't think there's anybody you'd want to play him other than Jeff Goldblum. I mean, Jeff Goldblum was absolutely fantastic, particularly if you if you're looking for an opportunity to, you know, zig where you've zagged in the past or vice versa. Uh, you've gone kind of the big, you know, the, the, the big um, makeup bad guy saying Thor the Dark World or you've you, you, you've gone, you know, with kind of some of these larger threats. So to have a guy who is not your main antagonist, but somebody who needs to be kind of that number two antagonist, but feels like the main antagonist for the portions of the story where that's the case. I mean, he's the perfect, the perfect complement to, to Hela where he's not the end all and be all. And he is death. He's just a guy looking to make a buck who happens to have a really great hit show. And they're, they're sticking with that hit show. And, um, and you, you can't fault the grandmaster from there. Welcome to level seven. Time to analyze and theorize. Matt, Doctor Strange's power over Thor and Loki. Too much or just the way it should be? I think that for this movie, it was just the way it should be, which is a nice little reminder that hashtag it's all connected, a nice appropriate response to this would be the first guy who would respond within minutes of their arrival in uh, in New York. Does it perhaps set a precedence moving forward that like, oh man, Thanos sent one of his goons, and why didn't Doctor Strange uh, note that? Well, you, to be fair, you do have a bit of the story out in that Doctor Strange has a list, so he's keeping an eye on Loki in some sort of magical capacity. Um, does it you know, could it could it be mistaken for Superman without the kryptonite and Doctor Strange's powers are now you know in, kind of impossible to quantify? Maybe, but that said, I don't, you know I don't know that we're going to be watching Infinity War saying, well, hold on, this is not flowing with my understanding of Doctor Strange. We're going to be there saying eighty-five main characters, eighty-five <laughs> you know named <laughs> named people in it, recognizable actors. Bring it on, Boggle. And while we'll keep an eye out for uh, the rest of the world to receive a Infinity War killer match, um, what we do, will Thor have two eyes or just one? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know how much I want to place. Um, I don't know how much I want to place on 
the the preview from Infinity War, which is not even officially out there yet. Um, could they I go mean, back? Clearly, they want to spoil. Hey, the character loses an eye in this film, and people seeing him wind up on the dashboard of the Milano windshield and oh my god thor only had one eye what's what's happened i mean it might have deepened the 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 mystery what went on between now but now as people are seeing this film they know he loses an eye i mean here's what i think the pitch probably was at the end of the day to hemsworth hey you're happy to have a half hour less in the makeup chair because there's now no wig uh guess what we have to tack on 20 minutes to do the eye now you know to do the eye patch Okay, you know, you still get the shorter hair. You don't have to wear a wig all day. Uh, the eye probably, the eye patch probably, I mean, I know nothing of makeup, but probably to get the eye patch on is a much, much quicker process than the hair. You know, I said 20 minutes is probably much less than that. So, hey, when we yell cut, you can pop out your eye patch and, you know, go to craft services. So I'm going to go with no eye or, you know, just the one eye, one eye for uh for the future that they're going to stick with this. I mean, it's not exactly Luke Skywalker's right hand. This is not losing a limb, but here's, here's my concern as a taker in of, uh, Holly entertainment. This is an attractive dude that you've now put an eye patch on and not to say that you can't add on attractive people. Samuel Jackson is a, is a handsome man and wears an eye in these movies, you know, facial makeup to make it look like whatever happened to his face. Um, but internationally, are you do this? Here's our hunky character with one eye. Or does well, it become, uh, he stopped at this land and you know what? They make cyber eyes there. Thor now has a robot eye. Well, I think it's that. I think we're going to get, we're going to get the cyber eye at a certain point. Um, might even be early on in Infinity War where, you know, fans who have seen the Thor movie, you know, are, are rewarded and seeing it returned or, you know, people, people who are only seeing Infinity War say, oh, how do he lose his eyes, so on and so forth. But something tells me he'll have, the, he'll have two baby blues maybe past the 35-minute mark of Infinity <laughs> War. The ramifications of Asgard's destruction beyond the metaphor, Matt, uh, Asgard was the protector. This was looking out for Earth, and obviously uh, now with it gone, it's science gone uh, to protect. Uh, obviously, Earth and everything else is in for the nasty forces. We've also lost um, ego. We've also had the the baby for Thanos. Everything is kind of laid on a platter. Um, how about the numbers too? Like, did everybody get off Asgard into that spaceship, or is, that was not a planet people? Uh, I think that that many of the good people got off. That said, if you were guard number eight in uh, uh, guard in... number eight. Yeah, alas, no spinoff for guard number eight. I think that we're going to find out, you know, nope. I mean, leave it this way. Not, not, find out is too strong a phrase. I think that they killed off whoever they killed off. And the story is not ever going to be concerned about that. It's the goodly people who made it, not the people who, uh, 
not the people who got uh, flooded by the Red Sea. You know, it's not it's not Pharaoh's soldiers. It's the uh, those who escaped in the Exodus. Transmissions. Let's check the wire, Pete. Let's get some tweets from uh, at Roger Skolney. That's uh, Roger S K O L N E Y. He says, Thor Ragnarok, the first Thor remains my favorite of the series, but this is a close second, has one of the best MCU ensembles, Hulk is perfect, Tessa Thompson owns this movie, Goldblum at his most Goldblumiest, Kate Blanchett is a little underused but still is great, and Hemsworth remains criminally underrated. I didn't really think this was all, uh, was the all-comedy uh, all the time flick folks were saying the humor in Guardians of the Galaxy 1 was a lot more constant. I wish it had more pre-credits connections to Infinity War, but it advances the Thor universe terrifically. I would completely agree with everything he said. Um, yeah, I would put the first Thor movie uh, ahead of this one and, and put uh, Thor Dark World behind it. Matt, is there any way where we could like give what we would rank the 17 existing Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, films? Pete, we know our pop culture podcast feed is chalk filled with goodness. And uh, as we were as we were taking our supper before seeing Thor Ragnarok last night, you threw out a crazy question. Couldn't we just put them all on their own Marvel movie podcast by Fantastic Geek Feed? So that's what we're going to do this month. Give us a week or two just to do the, the bloops and the bleeps. But uh, we are sure enough going to get that feed and to kick it off at the top. Some new content for it coming in the next couple of weeks where we rank all 17 movies ourselves. Pete, I dare say a definitive list. You could if you were so anxious to go back and listen to the previous 16 Marvel Cinematic Universe movies that we have reviewed as part of the Pop Culture Podcast. You could certainly go to FantasticGeek.com and click the Marvel Movies tab at the top, and there you're going to find them all. But we're going to make it even easier for you on iTunes, and you'll be able to find them all listed under one. All of that, Matt, is made possible. All of this tech stuff, all of this work is made possible by the good people who head over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Yes, our patrons helping keep not just the the current weekly uh, or let's see, lately it's been twice a week uh, content flowing, but that back catalog. So whether you're going for a repeat listen, which I know some of the podcasts I really enjoy listening to, you know, that other people make, I love going back to the old episodes. So you can do that as a listener and you also help us find new listeners by, uh, by keeping that back catalog up. And that is all made possible by the people helping us out on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. So if you contribute at any level, you're going to get exclusive podcast content. We have a special a new podcast we're going to debut first as a Patreon exclusive in the next little bit. So A limited run podcast. Uh, I don't want to oversell it. A little, a, a, a little side project. Correct. So if you'd like to uh, check that out. All, all it takes is a dollar, a dream, and a little bit of time to listen to that one. That'll be coming in the next uh, week to 10 days. 
And Pete, we are, of course, ever mindful that those patrons, uh, they gift us. And now, dear listeners, we want to give back to you. Pete, what is in what is in that giant blue bag that you brought back from New York <laughs> Comic Con? Yes, our second Funko Pop giveaway here, uh, New York Comic Con exclusive. Over the next uh, two weeks-ish, we're going to be uh, accepting entries for the Funko Pop Thor Ragnarok Grandmaster uh, little vinyl figure there. So if you want your own Goldblum for your desk, as he appeared in Thor Ragnarok, this is your opportunity. You're going to leave us a review on iTunes for any of our currently 11 podcast feeds that's soon going to change when we add the next feed matt that of course being marvel's runaways which is going to premiere on hulu on tuesday november 21st so uh we're gonna read out the winner of the thor ragnarok grandmaster new york comic-con pop exclusive during that initial runaways podcast episode Ooh, exciting stuff i love the synergy mcu to mcu uh little little punisher in between also mcu pete the hashtag it's all connected has never been more all and more connected and um once again it is such an exciting time to be podcasting all these shows all these movies all these properties yeah, so get yourself over to iTunes, leave yourself a review, throw us a DM or a Facebook message or an email. Hey, I'm Johnny Smith, and you know, Goldblum fan number one is the review that I left you on the Punisher podcast feed, and you're in there. You can have up to 11 entries. You could leave us one for every podcast feed. There'll be a 12th one by the time the Runaways is going. You could get 12 entries here, 12 chances to win yourself a Goldblum. I think we could agree one chance to get yourself a gold bloom is, is more than ample. Pete, and there's a chance every day for another kind of victory. That's seeing what you're saying on Twitter. How can people do so? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, -E -E 9,611 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with the PH. Visit fantasticgeek.com. Email fantasticgeek at gmail.com. Visit us on Instagram or Twitter under Fantastic Geek. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Like it today. Listeners, you're getting this on the Pop Culture Podcast feed. We will be back in just a few short days. Heck, Pete, we're going to be back tomorrow to talk the latest, greatest episode of Inhumans. We'll be back later in the weekend, Sunday, Monday, somewhere in there, to talk more Star Trek Discovery. And Pete, before you know it, we will be saying adios to Inhumans, switching over to this epic November uh, with Punisher, with Runaways, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in December. There's going to be a Space Wars movie coming out soon. Uh, it, it, it's just, it, it, the cup overfloweth, particularly here on the Pop Culture Podcast feed. So with that, Pete, I will say, back to Midgard, and give you the final word. Bye, new Doug. <laughs>